Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the English Happy Hour Podcast. In today's show, we talk with one of the best to ever hold a rod and reel, Skeet Reese. Skeet talks about the early rocky road that eventually turned into a Hall of Fame bass fishing career. He tells us several awesome stories, including a couple of white knuckle boating experiences. Um, Skeet's always been a really influential person in my life. I've looked up to him since I was a kid. Now I call him a friend and um, just love him. He's a great guy and uh, I think you guys are really going to enjoy what he had to say. So hope you guys enjoy the show. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. We've got an awesome show in store for you today, I hope. Um, and I, I expect anyways, we've actually got uh, a, a great guest coming up. We got Skeet Reese coming on a little bit later. Unfortunately, we're missing Nick this week, so uh, that downgrades us already to uh, to like you know maybe what like a seven out of ten, Rob. But yeah, Skeet just, hopefully will bump it back up. Just boring status until we get Skeet on, right? <laughs> exactly. So we won't bore you guys for too long before we get him, but we do have some stuff we've got to go over, Rob and I, and uh, then we'll bring uh, we'll bring the man on, but. Um, First thing I wanted to talk about before we even get into, uh, you know, what you've been up to, Rob, is the event that we're hosting up at Roosevelt Lake on January 8th, the uh, get-together, meet-and-greet, what did Nick call it, the uh, mastermind? <laughs> mastermind, yeah, it's hardly that, but yeah, I think it's more like a happy hour at the bar. So. Exactly, I'm just joking <laughs> about that, but yeah, for sure. So if, if you're interested in coming to the happy hour, don't forget to uh, RSVP, you can email us at info at anglershappyhour.com send us you know myself or anglers happy hour a uh, facebook or instagram message and we'll 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 write it down so far i think we've got about 30 folks that have officially rsvp'd but um hopefully uh you know i'm sure quite a few more are going to keep coming through we got some fun stuff planned um also one other thing we got an email very cool of uh, one of the listeners he is opening up a backseat in his boat. If, if you were thinking about going, but maybe were held up because you didn't have a boat or maybe even were coming out of state from out of state and you want to fish on that Saturday. So we're doing this 3 p.m. Saturday afternoon and evening over at Fraser Group site um, at Roosevelt. But a lot of the folks, including us, are going to go up early and fish that day just to get on the water. And uh, this gentleman is offering a back seat in his boat. He's a, a you know avid listener, great guy. Go ahead, Rob. Yeah, I've I've actually guided this gentleman, and he's it'd be absolute pleasure to be in the boat with, and and super cool that he would offer up to another listener uh, his back seat. So yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, if you're interested, it's first come first serve. First first person to message us about it. We're going to connect you guys and uh, hopefully you can get out there and, and fish that day. But thanks again to, uh, we'll leave your name out of the podcast uh, just, just because, but uh, thanks again for the email and offering that and uh, hit us up if you, if you guys want that seat. What else also, uh, he has a, I think he's got a brand new Z20 with a 225 uh, nitro boat. So you'll be riding in style. Yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah. It's, it's no chintzy rig. That's cool, yep. man. Yep. Great. Um, and then the other kind of housekeeping item I wanted to mention and uh, just try to recommend for some folks coming up this weekend, December 18th over at Lake Casitas, Bill Egan from One Bass has been putting a ton of work into organizing an event for Aaron Martin's family. Um, it's called the Hog Snatcher Benefit Event. So it's not an actual tournament. It's just a, it's an event. Um, they're going to have live music. 
a huge raffle, uh, a crazy raffle, and they're just trying to really pay tribute to Aaron and and raise some money for Aaron's family. So Billy's put a ton of and Billy and and a bunch of other folks have put a, an amazing amount of time and effort into this. They've got um, 125 jerseys for professional wow. anglers. I sent one in last week and they're going to auction those off tons of other prizes. Uh, but just to think about the work that went into getting 125 jerseys. Yeah. Is Billy crazy. makes stuff happen. Doesn't he? It's He's amazing. Guy. He's yep. a go-getter and he, uh, he loves yep. Aaron uh, just like we all, like we all do and, and did. Yep. So um, if you guys can't, if you can't make the tur- it's at Lake Casitas in uh, California. If you can't go, you can always, there's a GoFundMe, and, and if you can't go and you want to be a part of it, you could always jump on that GoFundMe and uh, throw a couple of bucks towards Aaron's family. All the proceeds go to Leslie and his family. Um, and then other than that, Rob, what what's up your way, dude? It's been actually over a week since we chatted, so what, what have you been doing? I've been deer hunting. Um, we packed into the backcountry for uh, three days, uh, and it was the toughest hunting I've experienced in this area, which is unfortunate so far. But uh, we finally got a little cold snap, and I'm going to head up, head back up tomorrow morning early and uh, get after it. So things, I mean, it's just like bass fishing. It you know, one day it's not good. It's you know, you get a little weather change. It'll it'll make a drastic change. So I'm hoping for the best. But that's cool. Yeah, it's been, uh, I, I didn't really think about how the weather could affect the hunting so much, but we've had such oddball weather. And finally, this is like the first, it's the first week of the winter. I'm sitting here in, in my garage in thermals because it's like 35 this morning, man. I yeah, mean, we haven't chilly. had this weather yet. So yeah. And the rest of the country is just going through mayhem with the weather. It's, it's terrible. I know. Yeah. That, well, we're so, thinking about everyone with the tornadoes and yeah, all that that were affected. It's been, it's been horrible. Yeah. We got it pretty good over here if we're complaining about just a little cool weather. Yeah, you, we complain uh, about the heat in the summer and then we get 30 degrees and we complain about the cold, but we're very fortunate out here with our overall weather. So were you, were you uh, sweating when you're hiking in the afternoons? Yeah. So when we hiked in, um, my pack had to be, I don't know, 50 pounds plus and, um, you just sweat so much and you can't bring extra clothes in there. So I actually hiked in in just a, a light pair of shorts and, because you just sweat so much you just don't want to destroy your pants that you got to wear for three days in there so yeah smart but yeah so it was uh it was pretty warm during the days up there uh the nights got you know obviously pretty chilly but i definitely tested my 20 degree bag the first night really (laughs) oh yeah it was a chilly night for some reason and you're sleeping under no cover right like straight no we have stars no we have um yeah i have a little um you know just a little backpacking tent so gotcha that's cool well sweet man um over here i haven't i haven't been up to a ton i've been fishing a a good bit still i need to slow the fishing down i'm supposed to be getting other stuff done but the bite's been so good i've been on the water a ton you know and i ended up booking quite a few guide trips so i've just been knocking those out took a lucky enough to take a couple listeners out and uh a friend or two and uh you know the the bite was amazing until about last week. And it, it kind of, we, we hit that cold weather and we went from catching 50 a day to like, I think the last time we went, we only caught like 15. So it slowed down a little bit, but uh, the highlight was I took uh, my buddy, Brian, he owns the company. Uh, well, the nine sunglasses company. He uh, he's the owner of it. Love, diehard bass fisherman. He doesn't get out in a boat that often. So it's always cool to be able to take him. And uh, we were on a school spooning up 
I, I didn't talk about this last time, did I? I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah, and it happened after the last podcast, I'm yeah. pretty sure. We're on a school spooning up a bunch of one and two pounders, and he caught a dang nine pounder, a legitimate nine pounder. So incredible. <laughs> he was hooting and hollering. You could hear him. I mean, Rob, I know you were uh, down uh, the lake below, and uh, I'm surprised you didn't hear him, dude. Oh, yeah. Miles away. It was hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, that's so. Talk about that bite a little bit. Like it, it, it was gangbusters. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't miss it. And then now it just kind of slowly is tapering away, and the fish are changing. What, what's your thought process on yeah, that? So you always hear about the uh, fall to winter transition, or I'm sorry, the uh, summer to fall transition gets talked about all the time. We talk about <clears> it on the show a lot, but I think we're in the middle of the fall to winter transition out here. Yeah. And it's happening a little later here than it is elsewhere. But I got to thinking about it. I'm like, man, we, we never talk about the fall to winter transition. But we are going from the fish being all up in the water column, suspended, um, you know, chasing bait to where a lot of those fish are now settling into onto the bottom because the water's getting colder and uh, maybe mixing up their diet a little bit, you know, still going to eat shad, but maybe eating some more crawfish than shad, but really just living on rock on the bottom. And, and I think that happens on a lot of lakes and, and uh, the lakes that I've been fishing, I've been seeing that a lot where, you know, you could still spoon some fish, but it's not that lights out. Every single fish in the lake is out there. You know, now it's like a lot of the fish are starting to show back up in those rocky places that they were hard to catch before that. <clears throat> so uh, it's good if you like throwing a jig or if you like deep cranking, throwing a, uh, a worm or something like that, but uh, it does, it's putting a damper on those, those wild fish after fish after fish days with the uh, spoon. Do you feel like the water temperature as it cools down, it's, uh, you know, if the water's a little warmer, those fish are cold-blooded creatures, so they're going to have a little more, move around a little bit more and feed, and, and do you think as it cools down, they just settle down and, and, eat crawdads because they're maybe a little easier to catch or that makes less total effort. sense to me man that makes I mean, total sense to me it's got to be that's got to be what it is yeah so it's just it's really how their diet changes and then it changes their patterns and where they're at but yep you know and another thought i had too is like those big schools of fish i mean granted you guys caught a nine pounder and a couple good ones but you didn't have all those like the three to five pounders out there yeah they were non-existent yeah those fish are you know who knows where they are but I would think they would start showing up more once those fish get on, on rock a little bit. Great point, you know, and, and yeah, you know, it's a, you could be fishing phenomenal lakes and sometimes those, those better sized fish are just really hard to catch because they're not in a position where they're easy for a bass fisherman to get to, right? Like they're yeah. open water, chasing bait fish, doing whatever. But yeah, as when, when the fish start to get back on the bottom, I mean, hey, that's a, that's a great time to be able to go out there and catch them. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it's, you know, it's fun to go catch 50 small ones, but um, going out and catching a dozen good ones is uh, just as fun or, or even more fun. So, more fun, yeah. It feels like yeah. you accomplished something a little bit more when you're yeah. a tournament angler, right? Exactly. Yeah, so. Absolutely. So yep. talk about, um, I mean, as we're not that far away from our meetup at Roosevelt, what, what do you suspect will go on that Saturday morning? How are guys going to catch them? Hey, that's a good call. We need to, we need to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So I think it's going to be a big time jig bite, right? Like a big time, bring your jigs, bring your deep crankbaits. Um, you know, if you have some wind or something like that, you could still catch them on something like a spinnerbait or some type of reaction. But, um, 
the most consistent deal is going to be fishing to me in that 15 to 30 foot range, you know, some type of bottom bait, a football jig, a shaky head drop shot. If you can get a deep crankbait down to the fish, a deep crankbait, what am I missing there, man? No, I think that's pretty spot on. I mean, a bite that we used to do a lot back, you know, years ago, and it just doesn't seem like it's as hot as the, that medium to shallow crankbait on the bank. Um, and you're, you know, you're targeting both smallmouth and largemouth. And I mean, they could be in, in a photo water, or they could be in five photo water. Totally. Um, it doesn't seem like it's as productive. And I think a lot of the reason is there's so much brush in the lake and it's more difficult to cover the miles of water that you need to cover to, you know, get those five to 10 bites in a day, but they're quality, right? That makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, but it's, again, it's rock rock associated right rock, like those yeah. fish are, are living on that rock because that rock it holds so much heat you know it, the sun beats on that shallow rock all day long and that rock might hold that heat all night so even first thing in the morning they're still probably going to be hugging those rocks right yeah with a crawdad crankbait up shallow yeah right? yeah i mean they're just up there feeding so that, that's cool my favorite part about that is the the small mouth factor the fact that you can whack a small mouth so Totally agree. Yep. So yeah. if you hate fishing deep and you're going to come visit us, you that's always an option too, is uh, is to bust out those medium crankbaits and, and yep. hit those rocky banks. Cool. That's cool. Well, well, I'm, anxious, uh, I'm anxious for the meetup to like w- once we get there and we can hear how guys caught them that day and, and have that, it's going to be pretty interesting. I'm sure everyone's going to be honest about what they caught, right? Of course. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be awesome, dude. I'm glad you brought that up and Hey, you, you guys can tell we're stoked. So, um, we, uh, we're planning everything and, uh, we're not event planners. So it's been funny to watch us stress over such a, uh, uh, you know, a silly little thing, but, um, I know it's going to be fun. You know, the best part is just going to be to, to get to hang out with everybody and, uh, and swap some fishing stories and have some laughs. I know there'll be a lot of that. Go ahead. Ryan. Yeah, we're going to have uh, pulled pork, a uh, good friend of ours. He and his son are going to help us out with that. Um, so it's very important to RSVP. Let us know if you're coming. Let us know how many you're bringing. Um, we just don't want to. We don't want to run out of food, uh, and we want to be able to get a, a guesstimate of of what we need to provide. So that's great. Yep. Heck yeah! And a huge shout out to our buddy Blaine, who's going to help us with that. Yeah, Blaine and his son uh, Nathan, the Ruddy Boys. So heck yeah! Awesome. Yep. Well, sweet. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, save this little clip and then we'll get uh, Skeet on here in a few minutes. So uh, you guys hang tight. Hope you guys enjoy uh, the man, Skeet Reese. All right, Skeet, man. um, We appreciate you joining us today. I talked a little bit about in the intro. Everyone knows, obviously everyone knows who you are. Everyone knows what you've accomplished. Not everyone knows who I am. (laughs) Dude, I will. My wife didn't know, and she, my wife is, t- it, it's unbelievable after all these years of following, uh, she should be following fishing. I talk about Skeet all the time, and I said, we're having Skeet Reese, and she's like, who's that? <laughs> <laughs> See? There you go. <laughs> I'm like, oh. I'm so crushed. I can't believe I told you that, too. That's all right. Hey, I don't take it personal. Hilarious. Well, hey, uh, what, uh, what do you, we're in the off season right now. I know you've had a pretty busy fall, but like, uh, what is the, what do the holidays look like for you? Do you have big plans? Uh, we do. We actually were, uh, heading uh, out of the country and going to go be on some white sand somewhere. And, um, we got three families going and we're renting a house. And so we're going to 
the uh yeah we're actually we're going to turks and caicos is where we're going so and uh to do a little bone fishing um taking a couple shark rods to fish off the beach see if we can catch some sharks and doesn't suck yeah that sounds pretty un- <laughs> unbelievable how about how about christmas dinner who cooks that in the family? Uh, so well uh, it'll be it's gonna be one giant cluster in the kitchen for that one um we're uh, i don't think we've decided our christmas dinner yet but we'll all be pitching in in the house and cooking and uh, we got 14 people in one house so i'm up for child labor putting the kids to work yeah yeah that's good <laughs> that's cool i'm looking forward to those days right now we're pretty much just slaves to our kids so I'm yeah yeah, forward yeah to when they can help yeah, you get uh, yeah until they they become fun to me. Like five is the age they become fun because they actually become they can catch something, they can walk and run and ride or do whatever. Uh, so, and then you're still yeah until they're about twelve, thirteen. Then you can like then you start putting the, the putting them to work around the house. That's cool. That makes sense. Well, uh, so on on the fishing front. You know, dude, you're on the short list of people who have the accomplishments you do in bass fishing. Um, and Hold on one second. You- My dogs obviously don't know who Skeet Reese is either. So yeah, let me go. I'm going to run them don't out worry back. About it. Hold yeah, on. Yeah, go ahead. Be right go back. ahead. Keep cool. going. We're still going. <laughs> but uh, so everyone knows you for who you are now. But, um, you know, as a Western angler, I always looked up up to you because living out in Arizona, you're, you're one of the few dudes that really made such a huge splash fishing back east. Um, what was the tournament scene like when you were coming up in, in tournament fishing? Like how old were you when you started, uh, you know, getting in the truck, driving to the fisheries back East? And when, when did you start fishing just in general yourself? Well, I mean, my dad took me fishing when I was a kid. Um, I read a story about Rick clone when I was 12 that inspired me to want to fish for a living. I joined a bass club when I was 14 Redwood empire bass club. And, uh, so I got to, you know, just fish the local club stuff and, you know, I had guys that still had John boats and things, you know, that I fished out of then. Um, and then I was a little backwards. I actually bought a boat before I owned a vehicle or a truck, I should say to tow it. So, um, but I, uh, you know, I had, uh, you know, I, I got to use my dad's truck once in a while. I'd call friends to say, Hey, let's go fishing, but I need you to tow my boat. And then, uh, but I just started fishing team tournaments. So back then it was, um, you know, West Coast Bass, One Bass, uh, Angler's Choice. Uh, there was, uh, yeah, that, that was, you know, there was so much more to fish back then. I mean, it was so different than it is now, and especially on the West Coast. And, uh, you know, I remember I, I won my first uh, team TOC. I think uh, my brother and I, we won a, the first boat I ever won was on Clear Lake. I think that was like 93, 92, 93, right around there. And what year were you born? 88. <laughs> hey, I'm not that young anymore. I'm in my uh, 30s, man. 88, you said, Josh? Yeah, yeah. Wow. I fished my first tournament in 89. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. Skeet had to be pretty close to that, right? Oh, well, I mean, my first, like, if you, well, I'm well, you were actually yeah, way before that. Yeah. Um, I think my first like team tournament, you know, whether it was a one bass or West coast bass, then 
was probably 87. So um, that's what I remember anyhow. But yeah, Bass Club, joined the Bass Club. I don't even know what year. So how old? What year was that if I was 14 years old? So 38 years ago, what year does that put us? <laughs> you know, when you, so when you know you got to go online, you got to fill out an application and you know, you're doing it and you got to scroll, you know, you got that little scroll thing. You got to put the year you're born in. Yeah. The, the scroll is going. Brr, brr, brr. <laughs> it's taking longer to get to 1969. <laughs> how, Skeet, how old were you when you drew uh, John Murray that first time? Like, it's a classic story that John tells when he drew you. What's your I, What's your side of that story? Uh, no, nah, we're well, yeah. So my side, I would, I still, I want to say I was eighteen. He says I was sixteen, but I think I was eighteen. Uh, drew him on Lake Havasu, and. Yeah, I had my, you know, MC Hammer pants and uh, <laughs> I said, yeah, I had, yeah, I had, you know, mullet back then and earrings and whatever. So it was a little <laughs> interesting. Um, but <laughs> look at Josh, he's laughing. Uh, so, um, but I drew John and, and I'm like, hey, nobody's ever beat me in a boat. You know, I've been in the boat before. I've Nobody's ever outfished me. And... You know, and, and I knew, you know, John is like, oh, yeah, he's, you know, he's some hot stick on the West Coast. And and then we went out, and I remember, we I don't remember the name of the marina, but I know we went into some marina. And it was cold. I think it was a January, February tournament. It was cold. And uh, and and I know, I, like, I, I'm down there, and I'm fishing a football jig, and I'm like, I know it's biting a drop of the rod tip. Swing, miss. Swing, miss. Swing, miss. And I'm like what the heck's going on? I know those are fish. And then next thing I know, John's up five, nothing on me. And I'm like, dude, this sucks. But I finally watched him on like the last fish. He never even set the hook. He's just started reeling. And so I just like, all right. So I just started reeling on the next bite and here comes a fish. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. But yeah, he kicked my butt that day, and um, but we uh, but apparently we got along pretty good because we've been roommates now for shoot pushing thirty years. Were you That's instant crazy. friends after that, or did it take like a, a couple more years for you guys to really connect? Um, I think the 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 friendship was it was obviously started that day, and then I don't think it was like instant. I, we wound up being around each other. Uh, another tournament and just kind of started clicking and you know you know I was like I think I gained a lot more respect for him then as like because somebody actually did put me in check and <laughs> he he taught me a lot that day and so I was like man I, this dude's legit and so I I was probably just some little kid just you know chasing him around a little bit more like ooh hey can I be your friend. <laughs> That's so cool. Uh, dude, I think it's awesome, uh, you know, how close you guys have stayed. And, uh, you, dude, when, when John wanted Toledo Bend, you know, you literally had tears in your eyes, man. You were on the uh, side of the stage, you know, first guy to greet him when he came off the stage. And uh, that was a really cool moment for me to get to see, too, because he'd watched you hold a bunch of trophies, and it was uh, awesome to, to see you go the other way, too. It was. I mean, gosh, I could, I could tear up just thinking about that, just being there that moment and just seeing – 
you know, something that he just, you know, he's fished so long to try to achieve and he's won, he's won so much, yep. uh, especially on the West coast. And his, yeah, his list of accomplishments are just, just stupid. Yep. And, and for him to be able to finally hold a trophy at that tour level, I mean, he worked a lot of years for that moment and then to be able to be there and, yeah, I mean, I was his biggest cheerleader, biggest fan at that moment. And just, yeah, it was very cool, very exciting. I'll never forget that day. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. Uh, so, hey, to roll it back. So, you're a young guy fishing tournaments out west. How old were you when you started traveling back east? And what was that like, man? Like, uh, you know, uh, you know what, uh, did you have a van like a lot of the guys did? Or? <laughs> All right, so here we roll. Um so it was 1990, I believe it was 97 that Bass announced that they're going to come out West with the opens. And I had already tried to fish full time prior to that. And I failed. Uh, I wanted to be in homeless living in the back of my pickup truck. Uh, boat was repossessed. Um, but fortunately I got, you know, I had some good friends, got me back on track working. Uh, and at that point in time, I was managing outdoor pro shop in Northern California. And I told myself, I, I don't want to live with regrets. I got to at least try this one more time. And so I, I quit my job and had $3,000 in my bank account. And fortunately, I won my first five tournaments I fished after I quit my job uh, in like a, you know, a three, three month span. So I won one boat in there put like 40 grand in the bank account and um, then opens came out West and I wound up winning the points title uh, that first year that the, we had the opens out here, got my bid to the Bassmaster classic. And then um, yeah, the whole dancing thing. I don't know how Ray Scott found out about it, but he, he kind of, you know, edged that along or pushed it along or poked and prodded at me to make it happen. Um, so I guess it was 99 was my first year on tour. Um, you know, did all, so I qualified to go back and fish the tour and yeah, my Kim and I, uh, we put everything we own in storage. We lived in the, we had a 15 passenger Ford Econoline van that we converted with a bed in the back and uh, we, we named it the white house. And we literally lived in that van for six months, um, traveling around the country back and forth between opens out here and the tour back East. Um, and it was brutal that first year of tour. Absolutely. I mean, demoralized me. <laughs> it was like reality check, uh, obviously, you know, coming from the West coast, having some success out here, uh, winning and building the name and brand and all that. And then to go back east and got my ass handed to me uh, that first year on tour, you know, which was only six events then. Uh, I did not cash a check until the very last tournament of the season, which was a mega bucks tournament. And I think I finished like 45th or 48th. Um, and I got like a $1,600 check. Wow. <laughs> it was like, like but I got one check, but uh, it was, it was rough. And and, and being a West Coast, and I will never forget this to this day, and I'm, I, I still, it irritates the hell out of me, that I remember we were in a meeting, um, 
and uh, um, Trip Weldon was you know, tournament director, and he gets up and it was like that first year on tour, and you know there I think there's four or five restaurants on the West Coast that were you know going over and fishing, and Trip announces that hey I just want to recognize these guys you know these new anglers from the West Coast, and I'll never forget OT fears stood up and says we don't recognize English from the west coast Woo. i'm like all right note to self and uh hey ot recognize this bitch sorry <laughs> yeah dude look look where you're at right now that's pretty unbelievable that's pretty <laughs> that unbelievable like, wow yeah, so i'm like yeah i think that that was like wow so you guys really don't like these guys from the West coast getting any attention and, and then the stats speak for itself. If you look at the anglers that have come from the West coast, and if you look at their tournament statistics on tour for the last 20 years, it's some of the greatest anglers that's ever played the game. And we've got, the amount of wins, top 10 finishes, the, the West Coast has represented the country extremely well in the sport of bass fishing. And I feel like they've had a pretty tough road too, because just, I mean, just, it, you're never on your home lake, right? And, and watching guys like you and Aaron, Murray, Ayler, Brett win tournaments, it was, it was uh, inspirational for me because like, we never get to have a tournament on our home lake. So um, it's, 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 it's tough when you get into the sport. You're like, how the heck am I supposed to compete on a lake that I have no experience at? And But you guys showed it can be done. And that, it was hard. It really was hard. There was a learning curve. Um, you know, back up a little bit. That first year, like I said, it was so demoralizing. And it's like, oh, my gosh. And I remember I was uh, in a Waffle House with uh, Swindle and Marty Stone. And it's like, guys, I don't, I think I'm done. And they're like, dude, don't, don't give up. Just give it one more year. Um, and, I, and here, it, this is back up a little bit to like, I think part of the reason I did so poorly that first year on tour is that I tried to do what locals do. I tried getting information and like, okay, okay, well, now you got to have this, you know, purple worm with a slider head to do this or this jerk bait or, so I never felt like I fished my style and just trying to do what the locals do uh, that first season. And so I, I went out, so I obviously I stayed with it. <laughs> I didn't quit. Um, and that 99, that next season, I think it was 2000, um, I was, I went out there with the mindset, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to fish my style, my strengths, however I want to do it and not live with regrets on it. And I wound up being in contention for angler of the year that year. And that's the year Timmy Horton won. Um, now I actually had the fish on, uh, at, uh, that was, um, the lakes right. It's in my, it's right there in my head. Uh, and I, I had the fish to win angler, angler of the year that, that year that Timmy won. Um, and I just, I lost too many big ones to that one, but then, but just to be able to know that I went out and I had a good season, I contended for angler of the year and I did it my way. And my way was growing up in Northern California, fishing clear Lake Delta 
being a shallow water power fisherman, that's, that's my strengths. Um, you know, if I go up to Shasta and Orville, I get checks, but I would never be in contention to win on those lakes. Um, so, but I realized that I can take my strengths to a lot of places around the country um, after that and just fish the way I like to fish. Uh, obviously, we're all learning and, ed, you know, ed, getting educated uh, on new techniques and new ways of catching them. Um, so I felt like, but growing up in Northern California, I felt like I still still feel that Northern California is the most diversified fishery in the entire United States. So you got the California Delta, so it's a tidal river system. Uh, you got Clear Lake, a shallow water natural lake. Uh, and then we've got all our man-made reservoirs uh, that, you know, fluctuate clear water. So you, to survive up here, you had to be pretty versatile. Uh, it wasn't one-dimensional uh, if you went and fished all the lakes around here. So I think it taught me to be versatile. And so getting on tour allowed me to be versatile. Um, even though I didn't want to pick up a spinning rod, I would, you know, I'd pick up a spinning rod and throw a drop shot or whatever it was, whatever I got to do to get a check. That's all I cared about. Interesting. I, did I totally go off track there? No, no. I did the, that's awesome. you know, yeah, the more you talk, the better. That's great. Yeah. So, um, and I was going to ask you later, but like, so one thing from my perspective that, you know, I noticed with you and, uh, it's probably why you win. So you've won so many tournaments and still do is you fish with like a really bold attitude, right? Like you, you're not a guy to usually punt and, uh, you know, try to try to get a 30th place finish when you're not on them. It seems like you're fishing to win every tournament. Is that how you, is that really kind of your mindset? And were you always like that? You know, uh, you know, wow. like, early on, it's a lot harder to do that. Right. Cause you need the check, you need the money, but yeah. you were established. No, truth. Yeah, absolutely. Once you're uh, established, great, go ahead. That's a great question. Um, I, I'd say it's kind of a mix because a lot of the tournaments I've won, I haven't been on a winning pattern. Um, I didn't think I was, and it's like, yeah, horrible practice. <laughs> and then you, you kind of figure out a little bite and then it starts materializing during the tournament and you expand on it. Um, so, I mean, I've, I've got a lot of tournaments where, yeah, I'm fishing in survival mode, just like everybody else. It's like, Hey, I'm not on squat. I'm going to just, you're trying to figure out how to catch as many fish as you can just to get a check. Um, so in some of those tournaments where I'm just, in survival mode that I've the turned and spun it to be able to turn it into a win. But there are those tournaments that you're talking about where, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm swinging. <laughs> like, I don't care. I mean, I'm going down in flames or I'm going to crush this one. And, it, and every once in a while, you know, one of those works out right, but that's, you know, there's a, there's been a lot of failures along the way in the process of getting those big wins. And, um, but it goes back to just, and fish your strengths, because if your strength is, is in light line, deep water, clear water fishing, then when it's time for you and you come to that turn certain tournament, you're going to be in position to win better than the guy that's, you know, grew up with a flipping stick. And, but then, you know, if we go to a tournament where there's, you know, it's a flipping bite and your strength is 
finesse fishing, then yeah, you maybe not win, but you're going to do whatever you got to do to try and get a check. Yeah. But, so, so maybe when it's in your wheelhouse, you fish a little more aggressively. Probably so. I believe so. It's it, the thing is that the tournament fishing, it's, it's, it's decision-making is it all it is. It's any sport, wherever, you know, it doesn't, I, I've always said this is every great athlete of any sport, it's comes down to decision-making and how you process, you know, that, that in the moment, right then and there, do you, you know, quarterback, do you jump out of the pocket and, you know, run? How do you handle fishing and being able to process all the information that we're given on any given day on the water and every hour. So mother nature's throwing all this stuff at you all day long and you're processing that and trying to, come up with a game plan um and to be able to just you know trigger that one bite get one bite or you know big limit whatever it might be so but the biggest thing that i and here's i think what's what's helped me and this is the biggest thing that i can tell anybody is don't fear controls most people in life and especially anglers, the fear of not getting a check, um, the fear of failure, fear, fear makes us, holds us back from being able to stay true in the moment. If you can get to the point where you're like, I don't give a shit and I'm going, don't live with fear. You just like, Hey, I'm, I'm out here on this point and I'm throwing, uh, I got a shaky head and 15 foot of water and I've been out here for three hours and I haven't been bit and the wind's blowing. There's a little, you know, there's a little, uh, you know, mud line up on the bank over here in this pocket. Sitting there's like, maybe I should go throw a spinnerbait up there. But a lot of people just don't. And also you go up and you throw a spinnerbait and whack. Oh, there's a two and a half pounder. There's a three pounder. Like, it's staying open-minded and not if so, here the simple thing if it's not working don't do it <laughs> sure yeah <laughs> yep and if it's not working go do something different i mean i now it's like if i'm fishing down the lower end of the lake and the bite sucks and hey maybe it means a 15 minute run to get to the other end of the lake or 20 minute run to put yourself in a completely different environment to create new opportunities and it fails. You're going to fail at times. Um, but being open to like, Hey, let's try something new and different. And, and that's the biggest thing is just staying open-minded and allowing yourself to think creatively, um, and spontaneously on the water and not letting that fear of not getting that check. And, it's easier said than done because I, I lived in those fears a lot of days. Um, yeah. It's like, how am I going to get home? I don't have any gas money. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yep. It's, those, is yeah. there, is there a point in your career when that a defining point when that was over, when you could just go fish fearlessly? I mean, is there a, was there a win or something that created that? Um, I still look back at that at 1997 when I quit my job to try to fish full time again and to win those first five tournaments. Yeah, that's meant to be right so there. That that was like such a 
aha moment to me in my time is like, I mean, so you're saying I am good enough. Um, and, and I, I'd want them, uh, on Lake Sonoma. Uh, I remember, you know, fishing a lipless crankbait up on a flat. I won uh Redman regional on, uh, new Maloney's spooning and 60 to 90 foot of water. So I was doing a lot of, yeah, I was yeah. versatile. Um, but I think that that little span right there was such a huge momentum builder for me and allowed me to just like, you know, just keep going down the path. Yeah. And, and from that point on, it's like I look at my, you know, my tournament finishes, you know, not that I fished a lot of opens, but I went, you know, top, started getting top 10 finishes in the U.S. Open and top 10 finishes all around Northern California. And. And with anything, it's, you know, success can breed success and helps you make better decisions and it's confidence. Um, so I, I don't know if I can say if there was one moment or one time, but I think that to me was a, was a point in time in my life that just gave me the confidence to just be able to go do me. Yeah. I, I probably met you in 97, 98, somewhere in that range. And, yeah. and like there was, and I don't mean this in a bad way. There was no lack of confidence in Skeet Reese. Like, <laughs> and I mean that in a positive, like that you were, you were a guy that was going to go catch him and you just knew that. And it was, I mean, I think that's a, a big thing that people lack when they're starting. And obviously you were beyond starting at that point, but that confidence is huge. So. It, it's confidence does go a long way. And, yep. but to your point, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, I think I'm a lot mellower now than I was then, but yeah, because I've heard all the stories about a oh, cocky little prick. And <laughs> see, I don't, agree, I don't agree with that. I just think you were a confident fisherman. And if I'm, I might be wrong, but I think I was in the back of your boat the first major win you ever had at Lake Powell. Do you remember that? Oh my gosh, you were, weren't you? Yep, yep. The last that was, day. Yeah, that was what? ninety two thousand ninety nine or two thousand. 2000. Yeah, it was 2000. Yeah. Yeah. And Buck Barnfine won either the year after or the year before. And I was in the back of his boat the last day of the tournament too. So I was like Dang. a lucky charm or something. Dude, why don't you come be a boat official and ride my boat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, um, yeah. Rob, you had a little success. You were, yeah, you, uh, you're partial to like Powell. Yeah, I like Powell a little bit. Yeah, I like Me. Powell. Me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Little desert rat. Yep. Uh -huh. So funny. I remember yeah. looking at the. Uh, I remember, you know, you'd get the magazines and uh, the tournament results were in the magazines, and I would always look for the West Coast guys' names, and I would see both your names, you know, uh, as a teenager and, and early adult uh, checking that stuff out. But um, let's uh, let's slide back a, a little bit more to uh, when you would kind of started traveling back east driving around the country we like to ask people to come on the show if they have like one moment that stands out as far as like a, a scenario where you broke down maybe on the maybe in the middle of nowhere maybe you broke down um, oh maybe you're stuck on a on a mud flat in the middle of some swamp somewhere and you oh, were like, i'm totally screwed do you have one that really stands out oh uh. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of a lot of little stories. Um, when's the, what's the most? What, so you've ever is, been? is this like PG or? I mean, if it's not, we can 
we can edit around it. <laughs> well, no, I'll just give you a quick story. So I remember we were at Lake Kim and I we were at Bugs Island. No, actually, that was that was uh, Lake Eufaula uh, in a campground, and so we got a little you know Coleman stove, and so she cooked some. You know, we had whatever dinner we had that night. And I remember it's like two in the morning. I woke up with a rock gut, and I'm like. So getting in and out of the bed was not easy because you only had about 18 inches or so between the bed and the roof for the, and I'm like, so I'm scrambling to get out of bed. And yeah, I, I mean, I literally got out the door <laughs> oh, and good. just shit all over. <laughs> 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 okay. So can't use that it's one. But, um, so. That's hilarious. Um, well, so I remember, I do remember this. So this first year on tour, and, and I was in a champion then. And we went to Potomac River. Um, and never been there before. So Kim's actually riding with me. And we finally make it up to D.C. area. And run around up there. And it's a little bit later. Sun's starting to go down in the evening. And I come back, so I kind of went up the, I guess, the west side or the left side of the river going upstream and then got into D.C. So I went underneath the bridge. So I'm coming back down the, the east side of the river and just kind of looking at everything, just coming over, just, you know, it's just beautiful. It's glass, glass palm, sun setting is pretty. And, you know, we're kind of staring into the sun a little bit and coming down the river. And I look in front of us and I see a boat out to my right, kind of fishing out in the middle of the river. I'm like, what the heck's he fishing? And as I'm getting closer, I look and I'm like, I see the water kind of rolling over an edge coming up in front of the boat. And I'm like, uh-oh. And I'm like, I don't know what that is, but it doesn't look good. I told Kim, I go, hold on. So I trimmed the motor up as far as I could. Cause I mean, we only had, you know, maybe a couple hundred feet to get there. So I'm, I know that it's, there's something right below the surface and trim it up. I hit the throttle a little harder to try and raise the boat a little bit higher up in the water column. And we go. <laughs> and it was Jay Yellis's rock jetty that he had won or finished so many top five finishes on up there oh wow sticks out about a quarter mile up the river there and we drove right over there was maybe two inches of water or something going over the top of the rock and i'm like you just hear this I'm like, oh no so in this boat just that those two guys fishing on that boat they're just like that dumbass. they had a front row seat they had a front row seat to carnage and i'm like don't stop. I did not. I ran straight back to Matta Woman. Kim ran up, got the uh, the van, backed it down, and put the boat on. And the boat is taking on water as I'm sitting there waiting. I delaminated the entire bottom of the boat. The it was just carnage. Um. Somehow I kept my lower, you know, I mean, the skag was all broke off. Prop was chewed up. Um, but I just destroyed the whole bottom of my boat. And, uh, yeah, I just, I will never forget that moment. It's like, oof, 
So, did they I've fix been, it or was yeah, it totaled? Uh, no, it was fixed. I mean, I, I, back then, I think it cost me three grand to fix it, and we wound up uh, getting a whole bunch. I forget some type of epoxy, maybe it's like JV Weld, some type of epoxy that we just slapped on the bottom of the boat and filling up this, you know, just trying to cover up all the raw fiberglass the best we could. And I actually, you know, wound up fishing the tournament out of the boat still. Um, oh, wow. But there was a lot of, lot of whatever type of marine, I think he's marine techs back then. So yeah, he's like a gallon of marine techs trying to patch the bottom of the boat. Brutal. Brutal. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. That's amazing. Oh. You fished the event out of it. Well, that's cool, dude. That Those are good stories. What um, else? Oh, there's, go ahead. No, no. Hey, if you want to keep telling them, we're listening. <laughs> you got one more? If you got um, one more, we'd love to hear it. Uh, well, I do. I do remember. I'm trying to. We're down in uh, Louisiana and the Delta down there. And this was, oh, my gosh. I don't even know what year it was. It's pretty early on. I was running, I was about 110 miles from the boat ramp. I launched a Bayou Dent State Park. I wound up down Bayou Black. I was as far away as you could possibly be. And I'm in a canal in the middle of nowhere. And who do I come across to see? Robert Lee. The general. Delta, Delta rat. Delta, <laughs> Delta, Delta, yeah, Delta rat. It's like, so I'm literally, we're in the middle of Louisiana Delta, and I run into Robert Lee. And we're talking, and uh, so I was like, and it's getting late, so we got a long run to get back. I'm like, hey, and we launched at two different places. And I said, all right, let's get out of here. And fortunately, I took off in front of him, and these are just like, um, oh, man-made canals. They're all dredged canals down there. And so I'm in this canal, and I take off and run right down the middle of this canal, and, you know, just not super fast, maybe doing, you know, 45 or 50 at that point in time. Also, bam, I hit something. Well, I know what I hit. Um, kicks my motor up, shoots my boat straight left, and goes whoop, right up on the shoreline. And I'm just like in shock. What I, I hit a gator. Um, oh, my gosh. So, but it, it did, I mean, it did it. There's nothing I can do. I mean, I'm trying to steer, but it was maybe – 50 feet to my left the shoreline so the boat just spun a hard left and shot me straight up on the shoreline and on for, fortunately robert was behind me and so and i always carry up you know big 100 foot tow rope and so he was able to get his boat tie off the back of mine and you know i'm pushing in the front of the boat he's yanking my boat off with his boat and you know i get it back in the water um and then you know, and then I you know, was able to run all the way back. But I'm like still thinking to this day, like, what would happen if Robert wasn't there and that happened? I mean, I've been, I would have been stuck in the middle of a swamp. <laughs> yeah, the gators. And, oh, man, that would have sucked. <laughs> no, no cell phone was, service, yeah, right? It, it, you know, all the way down there, probably. I don't even know if I had a cell phone back then. Did they have them back then? <laughs> Yeah, you'd be like you'd be like Byron in the rod locker at Elephant oh, Beer yeah. after his motor fell off. 
Oh, we were talking about that the other day. We did uh, so. Yeah, Byron and John and I did a live show or radio show with Ken Brown, and and that story came up about living in you know hiding in the rod locker there, and um, so stupid things. Yeah, didn't he didn't he pop out of the rod locker and scare the guys that were trying to find him? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, crazy. Dude, those are awesome stories. I mean, that's the only that's the kind of stuff you get when you you fish so many places. That's awesome. Yeah, there's I mean, yeah, there's no telling how many times I've been stuck and um Yeah, there's I mean, I I, I do I remember that uh it wasn't that long ago. We had that tournament up on uh, out of Philly, um yeah. Delaware River. I finished a, a a cool 98th place there. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, well, I did a little better than you. I think I finished fourth. Uh, <laughs> so, but, <laughs> but I'll never – I've never seen a tide that that move that much. I mean, obviously, our tides out here, our ocean tides, six foot. But deltas, mean, you know, give me a foot to, you know, a couple foot, depending on where you're at. But that, that was a nine-foot tide swing there. Um, and I just – I'd never – I didn't know you could have a tide swing that – that volatile that much water movement and i remember where i was that whatever creek it was that i caught him in but i was running up there and i thought i had it dialed in and you can you know you know there's sandbars and all the stuff that are in this creek and uh and i had a i thought i had the line and i come around a corner i'm like all right this right here and i'm on it and all of a sudden just i'm like i'm digging up mud and i'm like oh crap so i'm like Raising the jack plate, put the throttle down, trimming her up, like, ah, oh, just, you know, I'll power over this thing. And then it's just, yeah. <laughs> and it just goes, doink, and just rolls over on its side. You're like, oh, crap. Not good. <laughs> you, know, you know you're stuck when your boat goes, doink. <laughs> yeah, when it falls on the V at the bottom, you're in trouble, yeah, huh? you know you're in trouble then. Oh, yeah. And it, so it, it wound up being just a couple inches deep. and But within – 15 minutes my boat was completely out of water i mean the tide was dropping that fast i'm like oh gosh and it's uh, I'm literally it's like my boat was out of water and i could walk for 100 yards out of the boat and it's all sand and there's like one little ditch like it's maybe like 50 feet away from my boat and i remember one of i don't remember who it was but the boat's fishing right along me I'm sitting in the boat, just in, walking around the sand, doing whatever. And he's fishing the panel going right along me, and he catches one. Oh, like, it's painful. Ah, man, and nothing I could do. Uh, the, only, the only great thing about that was when the, we were just about bottomed out on the tide, and that tide turned quick. And when that tide turned, I mean, the water came up a foot in like, it seemed like 30 minutes. And I was able to get my boat off and get back up and go up river. So I only, I only lost like a couple hours of time and thing like that, which, but yeah, when you're running, it's like, <laughs> done. I remember the picture of your boat. I mean, because it makes for a crazy picture when a boat is just on dry land like that. Yeah. But um, yeah, you were the one laughing at the end with a top 10 finish and uh, I was driving home empty handed, but that uh, that's crazy. Man, we've had you for an hour. We said it was 30 minutes, and we've been yeah. here for an hour. So we, 
we got to let you roll. But um, Rob, do you have it? It's been hilarious watching Rob get up and down too with his. He's got his dogs in the background and uh, he's getting a workout. Getting up dude, I'm mute. Is the mute working? Because like I'm all over the mute and is we it haven't working? heard the dogs at all. You haven't heard them? No. You got to hear them now. This yeah. is the most miserable. Yeah. It's, dude, it doesn't matter. It's all good. Yeah. Uh, so. Do you have anything else for Skeet before we let him roll? Uh, not really, other than thanks for coming on and it's great talking to you. It's been a long time since we spoke and uh, I've enjoyed watching your, your career blossom over the last 15, 20 years. Incredible. So thanks. Well, it's, hey, we all started together. Um, so yeah, it's good to see you again, even though you got a big full gray beard now. <laughs> look, look I'm still two years younger than you, Skeet, no matter how gray my beard is. I just, I, I to give props to Josh too. So Josh, um, there's, you know, I know pretty much, you know, most of the guys on tour, but you impress the hell out of me. I, I appreciate your, your friendship, your kindness as a human being, as an angler, you are a class act and I'm proud of everything you've done out there. So just, you just keep being you and you're going to the right places. Thank you very much, man. It means a ton, you know, and I've, I've talked to, I talk about you all the time because you've given me, you know, from my first year on tour, you've given me some of the best advice that anyone's given me. And a lot of the stuff you told me, you know, even just our first couple of times hanging out, it's stuff that I still live by, honestly. So that means a lot, man. And uh, oh, cool. yeah, I look forward to uh, fishing with you again for another year coming up. Hopefully so. And then, uh, yeah, we got, uh, we got plenty more years ahead of us. Heck yeah, man. Heck yeah. So, well, all right. Huge hey, thanks. Thank Merry you. Christmas. Yeah. Happy holidays, you guys. Thanks, man. Thank you. See, See you soon. You.